Well, again, welcome to Cross Creek, and there we are. Oh, that was good. <laughs> hey, once again, maybe if you wandered in or you're watching online, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, just another thank you for being here. Thank you for watching online. Uh, it's just really quick. If you're watching online, you can just scroll down later on, and there's extra steps for you if you want to kind of get more involved in what Cross Creek is all about. It says you can ask a question, you can take a next step, or you can ask for prayer, and that's just right there on that page that you are on right now. Now for you guys, if uh, tonight we are, well, we are always a church for people who, you know, maybe are checking things out, asking questions, that type of thing. We want to have conversations with you just about life, about Jesus, about God. And so in the seat in front of you, there, there's that welcome card. On the flip side of that welcome card is a box that says, so what about? If you have a question about anything we talk about tonight, or just God, or life, or Jesus in general, go ahead and write that question on that card, and then uh, put that card right in the box in, at the info table, and we will get back to you this week with either um, maybe some answers, or maybe just a way to further the conversation, or, you know, have you thought of this aspect of something? So go ahead and do that if anything comes up while we are talking tonight. Now, um, before, I, before I move on, I just want to say we are very lucky tonight. Right, we're in church. We are very blessed tonight. Because we have, I wouldn't call him a guest speaker. I would call him part of our teaching team. So I'm, I'm actually not teaching tonight, but um, we have the Executive Vice President of North America for Evangelism Explosion teaching tonight. He's also our outreach director, and he's my dad. So I taught him everything he knows. So uh, we're excited to have Ken Silva come and uh, teach us tonight. All right. I learned a lot from you, John. You know I did. One of the things I learned from John, it was amazing. I mean, he was uh, in junior high school. I took him to out for Chinese food for lunch. And you know how you, get the, you have the bowl and you have that funny looking spoon and you're trying to get the, just the last bit out of that. You know, I'm trying to get the last bit out of my bowl. I look over at John, he goes like this. Here's his spoon, here's his bowl. He goes, <laughs> and I went, oh man, <laughs> all my life and I never figured that out. <laughs> He's a smart fella. Anyway, uh, so great that I get this opportunity and John gave me the topic. You know, that we're talking about the real Jesus. Last week he talked about um, did Jesus really exist? And if you missed that and you're still wondering about that, get online because it was a ter ter tremendous sermon uh, message. And um, I think you proved Jesus does exist, <laughs> which I kind of already knew that. But anyway, thanks for this, the tips, the ideas. But um, <clears throat> so tonight we're going on and uh, he said, so dad, your topic is going to be what did Jesus teach? And I thought, oh, that's a small little topic. <laughs> you know, <laughs> how do I narrow this down, right? And one of the things that Jesus taught was that um, uh, he taught the great commandment. The great commandment was, is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, right? And John calls that the law of love. And we've all broken the law of love. And, and uh, if you'll keep the law of love, then you've kept really all of the law. It's all covered in those two. Jesus said it was. And so I thought, man, he's already taught that so much. And that is the main thing that Jesus taught. 
But then I thought, the Lord's Prayer. And I started looking at the Lord's Prayer. You know, and I've looked at it many times in the past because I was, I was raised in a, in a tradition that recited the Lord's Prayer a lot. And in fact, when you were bad and you had to say penance, you were, had to recite the Lord's Prayer a lot of times. And so that you could get away from that altar faster, you would say it as fast as you could, right? So you're head nodding, right? <laughs> and you'd go, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come, will be none other sin as heaven. Give us a stay our daily bread, forgive us our debts, we forgive our debtors. And you know, leaves not in temptation. Oh my gosh. And you do that and then you count one, two, three, you had to say it 10 times or 15 times, or whatever, you go, I'm done, and you walk out. That's what I knew about the Lord's Prayer growing up. And then I, as I became a Christian, I started looking at the Lord's Prayer and I realized, now what does it really mean? And so I've studied it over the years, what does it really mean? What does each part of that really mean? And it's really kind of a model prayer because Jesus, it's the one thing that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them. Uh, it was more toward the end of his ministry, maybe toward the middle of his ministry. And they'd been seeing him pray many, many times. And he didn't pray like other people prayed, like all the other religious leaders prayed. He prayed to a, to a personal father. And so they finally said, Lord, teach us to pray. And the Lord gave us what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer because he gave it to them, the disciples' prayer. But you know, way at the beginning of his ministry, um, he introduced that in, in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And it's the same prayer, later, way later in his ministry and up front in his ministry. I'm thinking, man, that's kind of a model prayer. I wonder how many times the Lord really prayed that prayer. And I wonder if he used it as a pattern for his own prayer. And I was thinking, that is a great pattern for prayer. And so I've been using it as a, as a pattern for my Christian life. Um, and then when John said, you know, teach us, talk about what Jesus taught, I thought, ah, let's go to the Lord's Prayer. And man, I'm excited about this because I got so much more out of it this time, <laughs> you know, studying through it. So I want to share it with you. And uh, it really becomes like, the Bible says that the word of God is like a mirror. You know, we look into the mirror and we see what we're really like, right? And so I think we can look into the Lord's Prayer tonight and see who we are and see who God is and we can learn a lot. The prayer uh, that Jesus teaches here. Um, he teaches more than prayer in the Lord's Prayer. He teaches a whole lot more than just merely prayer in the Lord's Prayer. But let's begin by praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So if you want to turn, if you have your Bibles, we're going to put the key passages on the screen. But if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today. And um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is called the Sermon on the Mount. It begins with Beatitudes. And then, um, and then, then Jesus uh, addresses his disciples, and um, <clears throat> and he says, "Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven." And he gives those those. Um, those teachings that we're familiar with. You've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. All right? And that comes just before this section on prayer in chapter 6. In chapter 6, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who's in heaven. 
And so, um, and then he says, so when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you. Don't do it like the hypocrites in order to be seen. And then he comes down to prayer in verse five. And he says, and when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. And that's the problem. They could be seen by men. That's what the hypocrites do. They want people to think they're just very pious and religious. And then he says in verse 7, and that's, you know, I would call that um, the secrecy of prayer. He wants us to be secret in our prayers. And then he talks about the sincerity of our prayers in verse 7. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition like the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard by their many words. And that's what I used to do. That's actually what I used to do. And Jesus says, don't do it. I used to say just as many times as I could, as fast as I could, you know. It's kind of like, like the Tibetans, they spin the prayer wheel. You know, they spin it because there's some prayers written on there and they can get a lot of prayers done just by spinning the wheel real fast, right? And uh, so that's kind of like what I was doing. And Jesus said, no, 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 be sincere in your prayer. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you even pray it. And so then he says, so pray then in this way. In Luke, later in his ministry, when the disciples said, teach us to pray, he says, pray, use, pray with these words. Interesting. Here he says, pray in this way. So I think we can use the very words, but I think it's a, more of a model. And we need to understand what we're praying when we pray it. And I think we're going to understand a little bit more about Jesus teaching what he taught as we look at the Lord's Prayer tonight. So prayer number one is about a person. He begins in verse 9, our Father who is in heaven. Our Father. God is not some impersonal force or some angry judge far removed from the concerns, the everyday daily concerns of mankind. No, no, no. He's much more like a father. He is our father. In John chapter 1 and verse 12, John, the best friend of Jesus, wrote in his gospel, he said, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He, Jesus, the true light, was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Then he says, and he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. The Jewish people didn't even receive him. And verse 12 says this, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children, children of God. Even to those who believe on his name, who are not born of the of uh, who are not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. They were born of God. He's talking about a spiritual relationship. This is what we call the real deal. You know, it's not that hypocrisy. It's not that pretend stuff. It's not the religiosity. It's not. It's not the pious uh, um, uh, posture. It's the real deal. A spiritual relationship born of God. In John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to one of the religious leaders. His name is Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to him at night because he didn't want the other religious leaders to see that he was really interested in Jesus. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't even see it. You can't, you can't understand it. He goes on and he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again, Jesus said. You see, every person is a product of God's handiwork. 
But not every person is a member of his spiritual family. The born-again child of God is in the position to experience that intimate father relationship. And the word that Jesus uses for father here in this prayer is the word Abba, which is equivalent to our word daddy. Can you imagine? Are you comfortable calling God your daddy? Daddy. That kind of close relationship now, I understand that not everyone had a good relationship with their, with their earthly father. But let this just be a picture of what that, that, that relationship needs to be or should be as we look at the Father God and his character and his characteristics. And so we receive his many gifts, his blessings, his mercy, his guidance, his protection, his provision, uh, a life that's full and meaningful now and forever when we have this relationship with our Abba Father. Um, <clears throat> and this, so this is only experienced through his son, right? The relationship with Jesus Christ is the only way we have that, that relationship with God where we can actually call him Father and understand that, that deep, intimate relationship with him. I was reminded as I was looking through this and studying over this, I was reminded of a story that James Dobson focus on the family once told about his son, Ryan. Ryan had, had a birthday and maybe he was 10. I don't know how old he was. It seems like he was probably about 10 in my memory. And, um, and they went to the boardwalk. And so they had all the rides, you know, the Ferris wheel and the roller coaster and so on. And so um, James Dobson had this roll of tickets. He just bought a whole line of tickets because his son had about, I don't know, a bunch of kids with him, you know, that came to the birthday party. And so he'd stand there at the gate for the ride and tear off a ticket and hand it to the kid. The kid would go, hand it to the next kid, next kid, next kid, next kid, next kid. Yep, 10. Okay, gone. They're on. So they're at the, at the uh, roller coaster, and uh, Ryan gets, goes through and gives Ryan his ticket. Then his friend, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, whoop! Hey, wait a minute. Who are you? Oh, I'm with Ryan. I'm Ryan's friend. Yeah, Dad, he's with me. We met him over at the Ferris wheel. Oh, okay. New friend of Ryan's, right? So any friend of Ryan's is a friend of mine, right? That's relationship. And we have a relationship with the Father through the Son. It's the only way. We're born again as we put, place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And now we have that relationship so close that we can call God Abba, Daddy. I, believed, I grew up believing in God. I thought I had a personal relationship with him. But, but my religion taught me that it wasn't really possible. In fact, um, when, what I learned from my relationship was, my religion was that God was really far away and removed, and he was mostly angry with us, and we had to say penance, and we had to, we had to you know, mea culpa, you know, I'm, I'm a terrible person, and, and I had to try to please God every day, you know, and, I, I, and, I, and then I got to be, you know, in junior high and high school, and I started noticing girls, and I went, oh, this is too hard, I can't do this, <laughs> you know, I can't be good enough, I'll never make it. I'll never be able to please God. And so I kind of gave up. I mean, I really did give up thinking that I could have a personal relationship with him. I still believed in him, but he was far off. And then I went to college and I met some people that were going to a, a group called Campus Crusade for Christ, you know? Jerry Clark is here. He's the director of Campus Crusade here in this area. Hi, Jerry. In the back seat, back row, the back row. You usually have to get here early to get a back row seat. You did get here early, actually. <laughs> but we had plenty of seats. But anyway, um, so 
I went to this group and I noticed a change. I noticed a difference. These people had joy. These people seemed to really have a relationship with the Father. You know, they, they, they weren't under this burden of, of guilt and shame all the time. You know, they were just joyous. And I went, wow, this is the real deal. I want this in my life. And so I came to Christ. I, I realized I needed him in my life. I asked him to come into my life and forgive me of my sin and make me the person he wanted me to be. And it totally changed my life. You see, this is the one relationship that we're all created to enjoy. And so are you experiencing this personal relationship with Abba, Father, the God who is gracious and cares and loves you? Do you, do you feel that closeness with him? The second thing I noticed about prayer is that prayer is about praise. He says, hallowed be thy name. And praise here is not just that, you know, thinly veiled um, way of buttering up daddy to, so that he'll give you the keys to the car. You know, it's not, you just praise him so that then he'll answer your prayer. No, no, no. Um, his name stands for who he is. It's his identity and, and his alone. And so we're to praise him. Now, why would Jesus want us to worship and praise God? Well, so that we could recognize his sovereignty his holiness, his righteousness, his power, his might, his nature, his character. So we would get to know God. And so Jesus teaches worship in this prayer. In John chapter 4 and verse 23 through 24, to the woman at the well, Jesus said that we must worship God in spirit and in truth. She's saying, our people worship God in this mountain, and, and you people say in Jerusalem's the place that we're to worship. And Jesus said, woman, an hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Truth. Worship him for who he really is. Not for who we think he is, but for who he really is. Now, how can we worship him for who he really is? By hallowing his name. By focusing on his name. Well, what's his name? What name should we focus on? All of them. <laughs> and as you focus on all of his names, and as you get to know all of his names, you get to know God in a more intimate way. The more we know him, the more we will praise him. The better we know him, the better we can praise him. And so one way we come to know God is through his name. And, uh, and, and we look at all of them. If you want to, to focus on the names, just Google them. In fact, Google the 10 names of God. Just go home and Google 10 names of God. And you'll have 10 names that you can voice back to him in prayer. And you can understand who you're praying to. Elohim, Genesis 1.1. The first time we see the word God in the Bible. In the beginning, God created. What does Elohim mean? It means he's the creator. He created it all. God, you created it all. From this little rock that I still have on my desk, by the way, from one of your sermons. From this little rock, God. You created this rock. You created this world. You created this universe. You hung all the stars in their places. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. Elohim. God, I hallow your name. God, I praise your name. You are the Lord. You are Jehovah. You are Yahweh. The I, the great I am. 
the ever-existent one, the one with eternal nature. Yahweh is, is, is the name of authority. It's the one who, he's the one who holds all power and says to all who hear, I am the one true God. There are no other gods before him. I am that I am. And then El, Elion in Genesis 14, the most high God, that speaks of his transcendent nature. God, you are above everything. You are above all darkness. Lord, you are above all worlds. You're above all gods. There's nothing too big for you. Lord, you transcend even my problem today. God, you're amazing. We praise you, Lord. Transcendent God. And so we're hallowing him for his name. We're praising his name. Jehovah Jireh, Genesis 22, the God who provides, the gracious nature of God. God will provide for our needs, every one of our needs. He's faithful, he's able, nothing is too difficult for him, amen? That's true, that's who he is. And as we begin to understand who he is, we can praise him more. And so this prayer is much more than than just, just a lesson on prayer. Jesus is giving us his teaching about who God is, about our relationship with the Father. It's an awesome thing when you think about it. This is a great exercise in prayer, by the way. Practice praising God, honoring his names. And then it's important to notice here that, yes, Jesus invites us to approach God as our Father, Abba Father, our Daddy, you know, intimately. But then right away, he reminds us also that he is to be honored and worshiped. Hallowed be thy name. How great is God? He's both. And so there's a balance that we maintain in our relationship with the Father, the creator and judge of all mankind. And then thirdly, I notice that prayer is about priority. In verse 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God, May your kingdom come. Lord, would your will be done? Where are your priorities in life? As we look at this prayer, remember, it's it's like a mirror. Where are your priorities? Where are my priorities? It's, It's speaking of purpose and meaning. And so Jesus teaches us about purpose here in this prayer. In Mark 10 and verse 28, um, Peter is, is speaking to Jesus and he began to say to him, behold, Jesus, Lord, we've left everything and followed you. We are followers of you. We are following you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. What's Jesus teaching? He's teaching about purpose. Following Jesus is the right priority in life. Following Jesus is my purpose. This is my purpose. This is why I'm on this earth, to follow Jesus. Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Join me in thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so we follow Jesus. It's really the abundant life. You want to have life abundant and full and meaningful now and forever? Jesus gave us the key to that. In John chapter 10, he says, he said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. He said, 
He said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And three times in that chapter of John 10, he says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Jesus, what is the abundant life? My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. (laughs) That's the abundant life. Hearing from Jesus and following him. What a joy. Man, there's no better purpose in the world than to follow him. We get to wake up every morning, right, John? We get to wake up every morning and say, Lord, where are you taking me today? (laughs) Lord, what do you want me to do today? I want to follow you, Lord. I want to be with you. I want to walk with you. Thy kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done. Not my will, Lord, but your will. Where are you leading me? What do you want me to do? He says in Matthew 6, 33, he said, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things. Don't worry about all these other things. All these other things will be added unto you. Jesus Contemplating the cross, he's crying, he's in pain, he's in agony, he's, he's crying out to God the Father. He says, Father, God, Abba, Daddy, remove this cup of suffering from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Wow. Is that where we are? When we face difficulties and problems and trials and, and temptations and all the stuff that life is made of, Is that our response? God, not my will. Your will be done, Lord. I'm telling you, man, that is where peace comes from. Pray about everything without ceasing. Just pray about everything, but with thanksgiving. Saying, Lord, thank you that you're in control. Lord, I give it all to you. Not my will, but your will be done. And the Bible says, and the peace that surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You want a peaceful, purposeful, meaningful life? Not my will, Lord. Your will be done. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. So are we seeking his kingdom or are we seeking our own kingdom? And the answer to the next question will help you determine that. Am I seeking his will or am I seeking my will? It's either I'm seeking my kingdom or I'm seeking his kingdom. And then prayer, I notice, is about provision. In verse 11, he says, and give us this day our daily bread. Now, God wants to give. God is a gracious God, Jehovah Jireh. He is the gracious God who gives, for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son, right? But we need to ask. And so Jesus, in this portion of the prayer, I think he's just teaching us about trust. He's teaching us how to trust, how to trust God. In Matthew 6, 31, 33, he says, don't worry then, saying, what shall we eat, or what will we drink, or with what, what will we wear for clothing? The Gentiles eagerly seek these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. How many? All these things. All what things? All the things that you need. All the things you need. Every, it'll all be provided for you. Can we trust God? Are you trusting God? Lord, help us trust you more. 
This prayer is this awesome thing. <laughs> I hope you guys are getting the idea that you can meditate on this. You can contemplate. Now, what does meditate mean? Meditate means that you think deeply on something. It's not the Eastern meditation type where you just clear your mind, om, try to clear your mind, and then other things come in. That's dangerous. You don't know what's coming in when you clear your mind. No. Focus on God's word. Focus deeply on God's word. Meditate on it day and night, as Psalm 1 says. And you shall be like the tree firmly planted by the streams of water that gives forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf also does not wither. And in whatsoever you do, you will prosper. Meditate on God's word. It's the, his word is the instruction manual for life. And the more I know of it, the more I put it into my life and into my heart, the better I operate. The smoother the pistons <laughs> fire, you know? The easier the wheels turn. The easier it is to stay on the right road. And so, God, help us to focus on your word. <clears throat> and then, number five, I notice that prayer is a place of pardon. Verse 12, and then 14 and 15. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then this is really hard. This part right here. Get this part. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive you your transgressions. That's Jesus' commentary on the end of the, what we call the Lord's Prayer. If you don't forgive others then God will not forgive your transgressions. Wow. So how does that wash with the fact that we're told all of our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. They were all forgiven at the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It is finished. All paid for in full. But now Jesus says, but if you don't forgive, your, sin, <laughs> you, your sins won't be forgiven. How does that work? Well, there's that eternal, that's that, there's that, per, that permanent eternal forgiveness that, that, was, that was purchased at the cross by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. But then there's this estrangement and this break in fellowship with God that takes place when we sin in our daily life. When we ignore God. When we break the law of love. There's a rift. There's a um, there's uh, like a cloud. Have you ever prayed and you felt like your prayers were bouncing off the ceiling and they kind of weren't getting through? Kind of like, ooh, you know, something's wrong here, right? And what is it? What was it? I remember I first became a Christian in, uh, in college. I told you about how that happened. And I, had this pic I got this picture of Jesus and I put it on my wall in my, in my apartment, my bedroom. Just as I walk in, the picture of Jesus was right there to my right as I'd walk in. It's, it was by a guy by the name of Hook, and it was Jesus looking in his hands like this really rugged, awesome-looking Jesus. And uh, I'd be out at a fraternity party, <laughs> and I'd come into my room, and I'd see that picture on the wall, and I'd go, ooh. What was that? Was I forgiven? Yes. Has Jesus died for all of our sins, past, present, and future? Absolutely. Well, what was that? When I walk in and I see Jesus, I just felt this, uh, this, this guilt. What was that about? Broken relationship. He's the holy God. 
He's totally holy. He can't even look on sin. So not only could I not look at Jesus' picture, God could not look on my sin until I was willing to confess it. Oh, Lord, forgive me. I blew it again, Lord. God, forgive me. And so that's why John can say, again, the best friend of Jesus, in his epistle, his letter to the the church, he said, um, if we sin, I'm starting so common verse. I can't even start on it. If we can, if we confess our sins, there we go. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, why would John say that to a bunch of Christians if their sins are already forgiven? Well, because we're forgiven eternally, but there's that rift in relationship that happens when we sin on a daily in our daily lives. And so we need to keep short accounts with God. We need to ask for forgiveness. And so Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgive our debtors. For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive others, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. So Jesus teaches on forgiveness. And we're to receive forgiveness and we're to grant forgiveness. In Matthew chapter five and 23, Jesus said, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and here's here's just a good application of this principle. If you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled with your brother, and then come and present your offering. And he goes on, he says, make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you're on, while you're with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. He says, truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid the last cent. What is that about? Something keeps us imprisoned when we refuse to forgive others. There's an imprisonment that takes place in our lives when we refuse to give, forgive others. We think they're on the hook. They're not on the hook, we're on the hook. We think we're keeping them in prison by not forgiving them. But you know who's in prison? We are. We're the ones in prison. If I refuse to forgive my brother, how will God forgive me of that sin of unforgiveness? <laughs> I can't say, God, I refuse to forgive my brother but Lord, please forgive me. Wait a minute. That doesn't seem to work. Forgive your brother. You'll be forgiven. And so that relationship needs to be restored. Confess our sins. Keep short accounts with God. Get rid of that sin, and then I'll forgive you. So leave your offering there at the altar, and and, um, be reconciled with your brother, and then come present your offering. It is unacceptable if there's unforgiveness in your heart. And so, have you been forgiven? Has God forgiven you? You think of all the things that God has forgiven you? Yes, right? And so, is there someone that you have not forgiven? Is there someone that you need to forgive as well? Lord, thank you for this mirror of your word. Thank you for this prayer that reminds me that I am to forgive others as well. Forgive me for not doing so. And then prayer, in the sixth point, sixth part, is, is where we find protection. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
And, and the word evil here is, is um, it's never used of the devil in the Hebrew or the Aramaic. So when Jesus was speaking, either Aramaic or Hebrew, he's not speaking of the devil here. He's think, speaking of moral evil. Do not lead us into moral evil. And so here will be my paraphrase. Lord, I ask you not to lead me into a tempting situation, but even if in your providence you do so, Lord, I pray that you'll deliver or rescue me from that evil and that I will not fail and that I will not sin. Lord, keep me from sin. Keep me from evil. Help me not be evil toward my brother and my sister. Help me not sin against others. Jesus teaches holiness. It's, it's called sanctification. It's called to be set apart. It's being made more and more holy, more and more like Jesus day by day. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say to you, you've heard it said, but I say to you, he says, therefore, if you are to be perfect, he says, if you want to get into heaven on your own good works, in other words, if you want to surpass the scribe, the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I read that and I go, oh, that's impossible. How can I be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect? And Jesus would go, that's the point. <laughs> that's the point. You can't be. That's the whole Sermon on the Mount's about. You cannot do it. You need protection. You need the holiness of God. That standard is impossible. We can't do it. We can't attain it. We need a Savior. The Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians, he says, no temptation has, overcome, has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also provide, get this, the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God, give me your protection. God, give me your way of escape. Lord, show me your way of escape. Help me to endure this, Lord. Help me to please you, Lord. Help me to be holy. Man, what a great prayer this is. And then, do you need this protection? Do you need this holiness? Ask him for it. And in the seventh place, prayer is where we find power. Verse 13, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What's that about? I think Jesus is reminding us of the confidence we can have. In Matthew, I mean Mark chapter 11, <clears throat> he says, uh, and I'm going I'm to start at verse 20. I think we have 23 up here. But I'm going to start at verse 20, give you context. He says, as they were passing by in the morning, he saw a fig tree. They saw the fig tree that was withered up from its roots. Jesus had cursed the tree the day before. And Peter reminded him, Rabbi, look at the tree which you cursed. It's withered. He was amazed. They were so shocked. And Jesus answered, saying to them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray, ask. Believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. Mountain moving prayer? Is that really possible? What's your mountain? What mountain do you need moved? Jesus said we can move mountains with that kind of faith, that kind of prayer. There's a church in the San Francisco Bay Area by this big freeway interchange, spaghetti bowl type interchange. It's built on the top of a hill. And the story is that that church had acquired that property and realized it would be so expensive to build on top of that hill, they didn't know what they were gonna do. And so they prayed, they prayed, they prayed. 
They had bids on leveling that hill that were just so astronomical. They thought, we will never be able to do this. Oh God, show us. How can we do this? How can we raise this money? Caltrans came. California Transportation Department came and said, look, we're putting in, we're building this interchange here. We need dirt. And we'd like to buy dirt from your property. Not only did they flatten the hill, they paid them for it. <laughs> they built the, it's a big church, three big crosses as you go through leaving um, the Bay Area toward uh, into the going east. Incredible. God actually moved a mountain for them. <laughs> God's moved mountains for me. Not like that, literally. But there have been mountains in my life that he's moved. Maybe many of you also have that experience. And so we need to just come to God in prayer. We need to say, Lord, help me to pray this prayer. Help me to understand this prayer. And I think it can be a lifetime experience. I think we will continue to grow and to understand more and more about who God is as we pray the Lord's Prayer with understanding. And so that's my challenge to you today. And that is listen to what Jesus is teaching as you pray as you meditate, as you contemplate the Lord's Prayer. Do it. Do it this week. Begin to do it regularly. Use it as a mirror and a guide to your spiritual growth. My, our Father, who is in heaven, is He your Father? God, am I related to you? Am I as close to you as I need to be? Oh, Father, bring me closer. Help me to get closer to you, our Father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Oh, Lord, your name is so great. You are so great in this world. Teach me more about who you are. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, oh, Lord, not my will, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. Make your will be done in my life. My, thy will be done on earth, heaven, as it is in as on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh Lord, you know my needs before I even speak them. But God, here's what I need. Oh Lord, bless me. Protect me, Lord. Provide, Lord, what I need. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. Lord, help me. Forgive me, Lord. And help me to forgive others as we forgive others. And lead us not into temptation. Lord, don't lead me into temptation. But God, help me to find that way of escape. Give me that protection that I need, Lord. And protection. Where am I? <laughs> Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the kingdom. Oh God, I trust in you. Thank you for your power, Lord. Let us rely upon you and depend upon you. Heavenly Father, thank you for my brothers and my sisters. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us to meditate on your word you would teach us who you are, Lord. Help us to understand your character. Help us to trust you more, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the way you teach us. We do love the Lord our God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, our Father who art in heaven. We love others as we love ourselves. Forgive us our debts and help us to forgive our brothers and sisters as well. Lord, make us into the people you want us to be. Lord, for those who are just contemplating this whole thing about Jesus and, and relationship, Lord, I pray that they might just pray the, the, the skeptic's prayer. Lord, I don't know if you exist. I'm not sure you're real, but if you're real, show yourself to me. And then for the rest of us, Lord, we pray, God, you would help us to learn to meditate and focus our, our attention on you and who you are and what you've promised in our lives. Make us the people you want us to be. We pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.